comes to us as we approach the Lord's table, as we approach 
uh, the table of communion, even this day. Do I love the Lord Jesus Christ? Do I know him? Do I trust him? Do I love him? No other question is as important as this for our everlasting destiny and destination depends on the answer to this question. Do I love Christ? Does my soul have an interest in him? Am I one of his people? There's nothing in all time and history that compares with this question because on the day of judgment, nothing else will matter. We get concerned about so many things, don't we, in this world? So many issues, so many concerns, complaints, worries. This is the thing that matters. This is the one thing needful, isn't it? This is the one thing that we must know. I must know in this life. Because this life is passing. This life is transitory. It is fleeting. It is like a mist that rises in the morning and is gone. I must know if I know and love him. So I want to lay before you in the time that we have uh, a number of reasons or a number of points regarding this love to Christ. And the first one is a call or a challenge to love him. If ye love me, keep my commandments. Notice here that love to Christ is the central theme of the gospel. As Christ is going to the cross, as he is going to lay down his life for his people in love, the question comes, if ye love me, keep my commandments. That's why we read from the Decalogue. That's why we pray that the Lord would give us mercy, grant us mercy and grace to keep his law. If ye love me, keep my commandments. Notice, we must be born of the Father if we are to have a love for Christ. The Jews thought they were the people of God. But Jesus said to them in John chapter 8, verse 42, If God were your father, ye would love me. Jesus said of the Jews, they were not God's people. Because they did not love Christ. Paul says at the end of Romans 2, that a genuine, a real Jew is one that inwardly is one. Born again, regenerate. We must be born again if I am to love Christ. We are not to be satisfied with a religious life. 
but only a regenerate soul, born of the Father. That will necessarily result in a love to Christ, and that can only be found in the new birth. As Calvin notes that they had no reason to boast of being God's children because the love of Christ was not in them. 1 John 5, 1 says, Whoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that begot loveth him also that is begotten of him. There is this filial relationship. There is this agape love between God and his people and his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we trust in Christ because we are born again. We love Christ because we are born again, but also we love the brethren because we are born again. 1 John 4 verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. It really is that simple, isn't it? It really is that black and white. There is no, there's no gradation here. There's, there's no gray area. It's, it's one or the other. If, if I'm born again, if I've been saved by the mercy of God, I love Christ. If, if I have not been, I do not love him. It is a clear dichotomy, isn't it? I am either in the kingdom of light or I'm not. I'm in the kingdom of darkness. The question comes again to me, do I love Christ? Now, of course, none of us love him as we ought to. None of us love him as we should. But in every truly born-again child of God, there is a measure of love to Christ. We love him, why? Because he first loved us. If Christ loved me, I will love him. If Christ prayed for me in John 17, I will, I must love him. If Christ died for me, I will certainly love him. Christ did not die for everybody. He died for his people. Amen. He died for all that will be one day in heaven. All for whom Christ died will certainly be saved. Amen. It is a blasphemy to say that Christ could die for anybody that will end up in hell. It's blasphemous doctrine that the that some would teach us. Secondly, love for Christ is fundamental and essential in the service of Christ. Love for Christ is fundamental and essential in the service of Christ. In other words, we won't keep going from the heart in his service, unless we love him. And that's why in John 21, when 
the Lord Jesus Christ is restoring Peter. He doesn't say to Peter, now Peter, you need to be true to your commitment. You made a commitment to me. You, you said you would be faithful. You failed. Now you must restore that commitment. That's religion, isn't it? That's religion. But, but what is the threefold, thrice-fold <laughs> uh, uh, question that, that comes to Peter? Lovest thou me more than these? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Do you love me, Peter? Then feed my lambs. Then feed my sheep. There must be love to Christ. It is, it, is, it is basic. It is foundational. It is essential. To service to Christ. There are so many men that stand in pulpits today. Who do not love him. They fulfill a function. They are religious men. But they don't love Christ. And therefore it's wood, hay and stubble, isn't it? It's meaningless. It's empty. It's a stench in the nostrils of God because they do not love Christ. They're just like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the scribes, the, the Jewish elders who, who, and we were looking at the, in our own prayer meeting during the week, of the Sadducees who didn't even believe in the resurrection. And you think the question obviously comes, why would you even be in religion if you don't even believe in the resurrection? And there's a whole variety of reasons connected with this world why you would do that. But none have to do with a love for Christ. And the question yet again comes back to each one of us. Do I love Christ? Do I love him? Do I know him? Do I trust him? And if I don't, I will give up. Now, by giving up, I don't mean I'll stop coming to church because many people come to church but have given up a long time ago. And they sort of, they exchange the reality for an appearance. I can keep coming to church but have left Christ. Judas was outwardly with Christ for over three years, but it was never with him in his heart. It's shocking, isn't it? I can be here. I can be a member of a church. I can fulfill my function, but in my heart, I am not with him. As I come to the Lord's table, it's, it teaches me that there must be inward as the as the communion elements enter my body so Christ must be in my heart I must love him inwardly in order to serve him otherwise it is empty meaningless religion thirdly Love for Christ is to be the supreme love of our hearts. It's not just to be that the love of Christ is in my heart. It is to be the best love. 
It is to be the supreme love. Christ is to be my favourite. The love of my heart. The joy of my soul. Christ is to be my all in all. For Paul could say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Why? Because then I will be with him everlastingly. And that's why the Lord Jesus in Matthew 10 verse 37 could say, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. But listen to what he was on to say. Because that, that's hard. That, that's difficult. But, but the next part of the verse is even more difficult. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. We live in a generation of child worship. You know, where people will write on social media about their children, you're my world, you're my everything. That's idolatry. Yes, we should love our children. Yes, we should love our parents. Yes, we should love each other. But never in the place of Christ. Abraham has to be willing to sacrifice Isaac out of obedience to his God. Christ is to be the best love. The summum bonum, the, the, pre, the preeminent love of my heart. Fourthly, there is an anathema, a curse over them that love not Christ. 1 Corinthians 16 and 22, if any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema maranatha. That is, let him be accursed, the Lord cometh. Consider that love for Christ is so appropriate, so reasonable that the lack of it requires nothing less than everlasting condemnation. Parents become very discouraged when they put so much into their children and their children don't reciprocate that love. And we feel robbed. We feel um, something, we feel that there's something old. Now, I'm not saying necessarily that's the right attitude. But that's what many parents go through. I've loved this child all its life. I've, I've given so much and it's not being reciprocated. If that's true of a human relationship, how much more the very God that gives us the breath that we breathe. The God that gives us the life that we have, the, uh, the, the good weather that we enjoy this morning, everything, the food on our table, the, the roof over our head, everything is a provision of God. And therefore, there's an everlasting curse over those who do not reciprocate in thankful love to the God who has so loved us. It's why Luther was so aggravated or so agitated I should say 
because he realized at one point in his unconverted state that he did not, that he would not love God. He had he'd chosen in his soul not to love God. Not, he, he knew he should, but he knew he couldn't because he saw God not in a gracious way, but as nothing more than his judge mm. and the one who would condemn him. Fifthly, the love of Christ and love to Christ is the compelling force of our service. Now this is different than one of the earlier points where we said it's the foundation of our service. Now we want to consider it is the compelling force of our service. As Paul could say in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 14, for the love of Christ constraineth us. I remember walking into a, um, a hospice and at the, the entrance to the hospice, these words were written in the Latin. And just in case I get it wrong, I won't quote it. But <laughs> and so whoever built this hospice wanted the whole service of this service to the dying to be one where the love of Christ constrains us. So Christ, our love to Christ not only is the foundation of our service and of course his love to us as the greater foundation, but then it is that which energizes us when nothing else will. When disappointments come, it's okay. <laughs> when people let us down, when people fail us, the love of Christ and our love to Christ will keep us going. Because ultimately we do all that we do because of our relationship to him. Our relationship to him. We don't depend upon man. It's not, yes, we do love the brethren. Yes, we do love the church. We do love each other. But that's not what keeps us going at the end of the day. That's not what keeps us going when things really get difficult. It is this love relationship between Christ and our soul. The love of Christ constrained Paul for two key reasons in 2 Corinthians 5. First of all, because of the state of those for whom Christ died, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. So we were dead in, in sins when Christ died for us, Colossians 2.13, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. An illustration literally just comes to mind now. It's, it's interesting, isn't it, that we can have a, an awkward relationship with someone, or maybe even a bad relationship with someone, but the moment they die, what happens? Our attitude, well, normally, changes. So I could have been arguing with the person a few hours previous, 
and feeling really bad about the person and then they're dead and suddenly my heart has changed. Maybe it's conscience, I'm not sure. All the reasons, but there's a change, isn't there? And this is what Paul says, that there's a love of Christ that constrains us in the context that those for whom Christ died were by nature dead. And the only thing that makes us the people of God is his loving death for each one of us. And therefore we, we view each other in that context. We, we don't view each other as competitors. And this is something I emphasized last Lord's Day in our own church. We're not in competition with each other. We shouldn't be. Sadly, that often is the case in churches. Instead of working together, we are working at odds with each other. We're meant to be a body. And we're going through Romans 12 at the moment in our own church, and that's what we're looking at. We're meant to complement, we're meant to energize each other, we're meant to give strength to each other, give uh, ability to each other. So when I was walking down to church this morning, my, my knee was pain, painful. And so part of the body and the rest of the body was feeling the effect of that. Anyway, I'm getting on to a different message now, but there you go. We'll come back to this. The other, the other reason why the love of Christ constrained Paul is the reason for which Christ died. Verse 15 of 2 Corinthians 5. And that he died for all, that they which should live should not live henceforth unto themselves, but to him and unto him which died for them and rose again. The purpose of Christ dying for us is that we might live for him. Titus 2.14, who gave himself, Christ gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity. Amazing, isn't it? As a Roman Catholic, I used to think, well, Christ will take some sins away, but, you know, or at least that's what I was told. I, I don't know what I, if I actually thought that. But what I was taught was, as a Roman Catholic, well, the death of Christ could take away some sins, but I had to do penance, I had to do obedience, I had to make up, and, and one day I would have to go to purgatory to pay for my sins. No, that's not what Scripture teaches. Scripture teaches me that Christ's death redeems me from all iniquity. Do you know the thief on the cross who died with Christ was more than likely not just a thief but a murderer? Because the sentence for stealing in the Roman Empire was what? Crucifixion. So you might as well kill your victim whom you're stealing from because it's one less witness against your, your crime. Because if you're caught for murder or caught for stealing, the judgment was the same. That's why he's called a thief on the cross. He was on the cross being crucified because he was a thief. More than likely, he was also a murderer. And Christ said to him, today, not in a million years' time after purgatory, but today, 
I tell you, thou shalt be with me in paradise. That's the redemption, and that's why we love him. We love him because he is a complete saviour. He is a, a glorious saviour that does not need my help, but has done all himself. Amen. And that's why we come, Eucharisto, that's why we come to give thankfulness and to give thanks to him. Because he has done it all. As someone has said, Sin had left its crimson stain when Peter was setting up the table. I think he made mention not to do anything to, that would stain the, these lovely white cloths. Someone wrote, sin had left its crimson stain. His blood washed it whiter than snow. Though your sins be red like crimson, they shall be whiter than the snow. Sixthly, love to and for Christ is the very enabling. Now get this, it's the very enabling of our understanding of his grace and love. In other words, I have to love him to understand him. And again, all of this is the work of God because if it was down to me, I'd never get, get all of this right. But God puts the love of Christ into our hearts by grace. He puts trust in Christ and obedience to Christ in our hearts. He puts love to Christ. And this love must be there. Listen to what um, Paul says in Ephesians 3. Just turn there with me for a moment. Ephesians 3 verses 17 to 19. Notice Paul's prayer. It's one of his two main prayers in Ephesians for them. Ephesians 3, 17, and his prayer is that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love. Now that's the context. He wants the Ephesians to be rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. And notice what he says afterwards. We might put in the word, so that you may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, length, depth, and height, to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. In other words, what Paul is saying, for us to really get it, there has to be a love for Christ even to understand his love for us. I cannot comprehend his grace without having a love for Christ in my soul. The question comes back again to me. Do I know him? Do I love him? As I come to the Lord's table this morning, do I love the one who loved me and gave himself for me? Seventhly, there is a gospel benediction upon all those that truly love the Lord Jesus. Just as there was an apostolic curse upon those who did not love the Lord Jesus, 
uh, in 1 Corinthians 16 and 22. Now in Ephesians 6, 24, grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in, get this, sincerity. Do I sincerely love him? Do I sincerely love him? That's the question. And that's why, again, we prayed. That's why we do pray to the Lord, because it's all of him to give us this love. Eighthly, genuine love for Christ will make us want to live for him in this world and live with him in the next. Not just pie in the sky when we die. Not just sort of, you know, and, and, and it's, it's amazing, isn't it, that you, you sometimes go to the funeral of people who've lived a godless life, a Christless life, and there will be religious jargon. Genuine love for Christ will constrain me or make me want to live for Christ here and now and to be with him in the world to come. And that's why Paul could say in Philippians 1 verse 20, so now also... Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Genuine love for Christ will make me want to live for him in this world and be with him in the world to come, do you have that kind of love for Christ? Do you love him? Do you know him? That's what we must resolve. That's what I must know. Because this life is so fleeting, so temporary. Ninthly, there's only ten points, so last two. <laughs> Love to Christ will make us willing to forsake all other loves. Philippians 3, verse 7. But what things were gained to me, those or these I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Some people, when they, when they meet their idols, if I can use that phrase, you know, people that they, they, they think much of, and they meet them and they spend time with them, and maybe they're not as great as they thought they were. Not so with Christ. The more... We know him, the more we love him. The more we spend time meditating upon him, the more we love him. Notice it is Christ Jesus, my Lord. Can you say that? We can say, the Lord Jesus Christ, which he is. 
But can you say from your heart with Thomas, my Lord and my God? Can you say that? Paul uses a, a financial metaphor here, doesn't he? He, he? he sets up the balance and he puts on one side of the scales all the things which were the love of his heart or the things that he put his interest in uh, in the past and then puts Christ on the other side and there's no comparison. All of this is so much rubbish, so much emptiness. Scubalon is the Greek word which means excrement, dung. Everything compared to Christ is waste. So that we are willing, like in the parable of the pearl of great price, willing like that man to sell all that he has to buy that one precious pearl. To give up the world for Christ. As someone could say that if he had a thousand worlds, he would give them all away for Christ. That's the love of Christ. Do you have that love? Do you know that love? Do you know the Savior? And just as the thief on the cross could know him in a moment when the thief said, Lord, remember me. Remember thou me when thou comest into thy kingdom. I don't have to give. It's one of the reasons why I think altar calls are, are very dangerous. In some religious context is this idea of coming forward to the altar. You don't have to move. The, the thief on the cross couldn't move. He was impaled on a cross. He could go nowhere. But he could trust in Christ. He could believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for the salvation of his soul. Jim Elliot, who died in the service of Christ in 1956 at the age of 28, his journal entry for October 28, 1949, said this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. It's very similar to the words of a 17th century preacher by the name of Philip Henry who said, He is no fool who parts with that which he cannot keep when he is sure to be recompensed with that which he cannot lose. 
Lastly, this love to Christ is a satisfying love. You know, people can fall in love with people in this world and it goes well for some time and after a while it's, it's not the same. The love of Christ is that which completely satisfies us and, and, and it grows in satisfaction and in fact in eternity there will be a developing love of Christ to us and for us. Well, his love is, uh, his love is unchangeable but our love to him will develop and grow and that's why our worship will never be um, something that is not, uh, that is either boring or, or whatever, if I can use that, that term, because our love for him will develop, our relationship with him will develop throughout eternity. Peter could say, whom having not seen, ye love, an unseen Christ, yet we love him. Though now ye see him not yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. This love of Christ is glorious. It is joy unspeakable. I remember hearing of the death of a dear brother in the west of Ireland. Faithful minister of the gospel and as he gathered his family gathered around his deathbed he talked about this joy unspeakable this full of glory as he approached the very end of his life why would we not want to know this love of Christ why would we not want to know that we belong to him and he belongs to us what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Heaven is many things and hell is many things. But one of the differences is this, that in heaven there will be everlasting joy. And in hell, everlasting misery. It doesn't get any more blunt than that that's the choice the psalmist could speak of God as being in Psalm 73 26 God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever the love of God the love of Christ and David could say as we close in Psalm 17, verse 15, As for me, I will behold thy faith and righteousness. Maybe Paul was thinking of that when he was writing 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. And maybe Wesley was also thinking of that when he wrote those words, Change from glory into glory, till in heaven we take our place, till we cast our crowns before thee, lost in wonder love and praise. David says, I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. Amen. May
may God bless his word in our souls. Well, um, can I ask you a question to lead us in prayer and then we'll have to